Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you for the goodness of your son, Jesus. And I want to thank you for your uh, eternal love that will never change towards us and that you come with us with the best of will. And we thank you for your spirit here this evening to be our teacher. And I would only ask that both in the speaking and the hearing, you would do the communicating. And we want to thank you for that in advance. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible this evening and, and uh, want to follow along, I'm going to refer to a passage from John chapter 3. And before I get there, what I want to talk to you about tonight is really why I'm here. And I'd like to tell you how Jesus found me. To set this up, I, I just want to give us the basis for what happened in my life out of Scripture. And there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 2 in verses 4 and 5 which says this. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. God in his great mercy and his love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive. I want to talk to you this evening about the gospel of life. If I could have the first slide, that would be great, because that's the passage that I'm eventually going to get to. But what I want to notice right here, that apart from Christ, we are dead in our transgressions. A family friend of ours said to me one day, you have a lot of your father in you. I never went to a boarding school, you know, to try and look like my dad or, or, you know, behave like my father. One time my niece was in Bible school and she came up to me after a lecture. She said, she said you even walk like granddad. Walk like him? Where, I didn't learn that. Those are inherited characteristics. I came out of the womb with that characteristic. That was inborn. And scripture says we are dead in our transgressions. We're at a family gathering and one of my nephews took one of these, I don't know if you've ever seen them, they're these big fat plastic baseball bats that are made for a wiffle ball and small kids. One nephew took that bat, I don't know what, what you know, initiated this, but he takes it and just whacks his, his cousin over the head. And my mother, this wise woman, was sitting there and she looked at me and she said, you never have to teach a child to sin. There are things that have, I, I, have been, I, I have inherited from my 44444 father, Adam, and it says here is that I was dead in my transgressions. It's interesting, it says death. And then he puts that together with transgressions. You see, death is the problem. Transgression is the symptom. These, these uh, spotlights up here in this row that were shining last night at other points during this week, they're, they're not giving off light. In biblical language, they're sinning. They're not behaving properly, but that's not their problem. 
Their problem is they're not indwelt with electricity. And once electricity indwells, a light bulb behaves in the way that the creator intended. It's very simple. And sometimes we are, we are about the business too often of, of trying to, you know, address the symptoms without ever addressing the problem. God came to address the problem, to make us alive. And to address the symptoms that all of that separation from his, him has been causing. New life doesn't come from anything I did. It comes from something he does. Coming to life in Christ doesn't take place because I did the right thing, but because God did the right thing. He brought me back to life. We have the gospel of life explained to a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And this man was a theologian, one at the top of his day. And he came to Jesus by night, and we read in John chapter 3 and verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you came from God as a teacher, for no one could do the things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered it and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus teaches me a couple of things. Teaches me that you can know the word of God without knowing the God of the word. Teaches me that you can be religious and godless at the same time. You can have everything but God. Teaches me that you can be around God's children without being God's child. And Jesus doesn't even get into a discussion with this man. He just comes to the point and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus immediately appealed to the fact that it is possible to experience the living God on earth and to know him personally, experientially today. But he laid a condition on it and he said, truly, truly. And he said that three times in this passage that we're looking at this evening. And any time a Jew said, truly, truly, it's like Jesus is saying, now I'm going to say something really important. If a Jew repeated himself three times, that was the highest form of emphasis in Jewish speaking and thinking. And it appears very seldom in scripture, but it is there. Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. One of the things that we need to uh, settle down on is that there is a place for righteous intolerance in our lives. One plus one equals two. Not because I have anything against the number three. 
I have no personal agenda. It's not discrimination of an unrighteous form. It's just that truth will not allow for another option in that case, but the number two. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Why is it that in the area of science, business, and medicine, we will not tolerate error? But when it comes to the single most important matter in my life, my eternal destiny, as soon as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but my me, all of a sudden people are raising their hands and saying, no, 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 no. Jesus said, you must be born again. Paul said a similar thing in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 when he said this. He said, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Jesus says you have to experience this birth to, 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 to experience the kingdom of God and to enter into that kingdom. I live on a large lake. It's 60 kilometers long, 14 wide. And we have a lot of lake trout in our lake. There's a commercial fishing industry. And the fish have their kingdom. It's the kingdom of water. They're made to flourish there. I can cheat, and we did when we went on the first part of our honeymoon. We went to Egypt. It's not a good thing to say in, in, in the circle of people who know their Bibles. You're not supposed to go back to Egypt. But we did on our honeymoon. And we snorkeled there, and, and it was great in the Red Sea. But I can't live in the kingdom of a fish. Nor can they live in my kingdom, and that's why we don't have lake trout who apply to Bible school. So they, they remain in their kingdom, and I remain in mine. And, and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are separate unless something happens in me that allows me to enter into this kingdom. And Jesus calls this new birth or being born again. And so in verse 4, Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into a, his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going, and so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What happens at birth is very simply this. The life of a man enters into the life of a woman, and a new life begins where there was formerly no life at all. And when Jesus speaks about being born again, He's speaking about the life of God entering into the life of man on earth and that makes him literally into a child of God. That is not some type of religious name tag. That is talking about a spiritual reality. The life of God entering into the life of man and a spiritual conception takes place when his spirit enters into my spirit and imparts eternal life to me here on earth. J. 
John said in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. Friends, I, need, I, I didn't do anything to bring about my own birth. As far as my being born into this world physically, somebody else acted, and that's what got me here. And spiritual birth is the same way. God acts. He does something. And I become a child of God. The only thing, it's all by grace. I don't bring about my physical birth and I don't bring about my spiritual birth. God acts and I become his child. And then Jesus, which he often did, took a picture out of nature that that anybody can understand. He said, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. On our lake, we have these warning lights that begin to blink when there is a storm coming. And they begin to blink even when there's a blue sky. And when that happens in particular in the months of January, February, March, there are strong winds on the lake that we live on. And sometimes some of our students or guests or even staff will go down to the lake and they'll watch the windsurfers and the kite surfers. And then they'll come back and they'll say something like, man, did you see the wind today? It was awesome. And they say, man, did you see the wind? You can't see wind. But visibility is not the last measure of reality. And although wind is invisible, it's very real. And although the living God and his spirit is invisible, he is very real. And what, what he touches and gains control of, there will be visible, measurable change. There will be something that will happen in the person's life who who is born again by the Spirit of God. And I've just brought 12 this evening. No, I'm just kidding. I have three. And if I could have them on the next slide, that would be great. We don't have time for all of them. But just let me mention three things that you can be assured of that will happen when you're born again by the Spirit of God and this miracle takes place when God imparts spiritual life to me here on earth and I become his child. The first thing that happens is I gain a knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Paul said in Romans 8, 15, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It's not possible this evening, but if it was, and my father walked through that door, and my friend Tim saw my father from a distance and ran over to him and gave him a big bear hug and lifted him up off the ground and said, Dad, it's great to see you. I'm so glad you came to Gull Lake. We're going to go to dinner tonight because I know you're going to pay. Oh, Dad, it's great to see you. He wouldn't do that. It would be very uncomfortable for him to call my dad his own. 
If my dad walked into this room this evening, I certainly would run up to him. I would give him a big hug, lift him up and down, and say, can't wait to go to dinner because in my heart I'm expecting him to pay. You know what I've noticed? Is that some people who have not been born again to pray is an uncomfortable thing. When you're born again by the Spirit of God, he becomes your father. And it is the most natural thing in the world to begin to speak to him. We have a bunch of small kids being born at, at, at Bodensee. Man, it's just every time we go back there, another one's being born. It's great. And there's one named Zephora. We call her Zippy for short. And that's, that's her personality. And you know, it's amazing what these two-year-olds can get adults to do. <laughs> and like, you know, I'll get down my knees, I'll make faces, I'll start talking to her in ways I would never address, address an adult. And then one day, she said my name. <laughs> and I'm going, did you hear that? She said, Peter. That must be how a parent feels when their son or daughter says mama or papa. If it filled my heart with that amount of joy and Zippy isn't even my own child, I have the funny feeling that our Heavenly Father takes incredible delight when a person is born again by the Spirit of God and begins to say, Father. It's the most natural thing in the world and prayer becomes not, you know, not this something, a, a dry ritual or something you feel uncomfortable about. It's a privilege. Secondly, you gain an awareness of the Spirit of God. In Romans 8, 16, it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. Honestly, I do not remember the day I was born, and probably I can be thankful for that. But if you were to come up to me after this message this evening and say to me, Peter, how do you know you were ever born? I would say to you, because I'm conscious I'm alive. That's how I know. I say that because later on this evening when I speak about when Jesus found me, I can pretty much tell you the week that that happened. But some people, when they hear that, it's not an encouragement, it's a discouragement because they're sitting there and they say, I can't, I can't name a date like that. Let me tell you about my friend named Jim. Jim came from Nigeria, and as is the case at the beginning of Bible school, we have to fill out a packet of form with our, with our uh, foreign students. And so we're starting on this pile of forms, and, and Jim's writing his name and his address and stuff like that. And, and I said, there's your date of birth. Just put in your birth date, and, and we'll move on. He didn't write anything. I said... Jim, uh, it's, in Europe, we do it day, month, year. I don't know how it is in Nigeria, but just day, month, year. He didn't do anything. And I'm getting a little bit frustrated because I've got other things to do. And I said, Jim, what's wrong? And he, he, he looks up at me and he said, in my culture, 
we don't keep track of our day of birth. But Jim doesn't need to know his date of birth to know he's alive. So put a stake in the ground. Say, I know I'm alive. And when the Spirit of God enters into our spirit, there will be a consciousness of that. And we'll know we've been born again. We're know, we'll know uh, we're his child. You can have that, that, that certainty, that consciousness of being a child of God. And thirdly, there will be an increasing likeness to the Son of God. It says in 1 John 2.29, if you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. The essence of life is being able to reproduce according to its own kind. Uh, at Bodensiof, we have a, a fruit orchard, and there are apple, pear, cherry, and plum trees out there. Um, you know, in August at harvest time, when we're taking the apples off the tree, I don't stand in front of that tree and say, man, you know, I wonder if it's going to produce plums next year. You don't say that because an apple tree can only produce apples and God can only reproduce his own character and he will always and only reproduce his character. He will never diverge from that. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We have three rooms at Bodensiof. There are 10 beds in those rooms. 10 for 23 weeks. I don't have to do anything. Just that in itself accelerates the sanctification process in our students. The students from Africa walk in there and they say, What? Are you kidding me? Only nine other people in this room with me? This is fantastic. <laughs> the students from Orange County walk in there and they go, what? Nine other people, my bedroom at home is as big as this. And then they say something like, Peter, but I'm working on my patience. And I say, to myself inside, well, go ahead and work on your patience. All you'll discover is, is what an impatient person you are because patience is a miracle. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that God works supernaturally into our character as he begins this transformation process from the inside out. And the Spirit of God usually... He works conscious need of repentance, but he, he works in unconscious righteousness. It's a transformation that comes from the inside out, and what seems natural is actually supernatural. You know, when our, we drove to our grandparents' house, when they visited, we visited them on Green Lake, Wisconsin, in July every year. First words out of their mouth when we got out of the car, oh my goodness, how you have grown up. Man, you know, during that year, I, I didn't sit at the breakfast table and say, oh, dude, look at that. I grew a centimeter in one night. How'd that happen? You're unaware of your own growth. But others will know. And when the Spirit of God begins to do this transformation in me, and he begins to change my desires and, and my priorities, others will notice. Not necessarily me. 
If I'm aware of my own righteousness, it's usually self-righteousness, and that stinks. So what do I got to do, Peter? Well, Jesus said to Nicodemus in this same chapter, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, I want to be very clear on this. Heaven is not the offer of the gospel. Eternal life is the offer of the gospel. Don't get me wrong. All children of God go to heaven. But that's not the offer of John 3.16. You see, eternal life is not a place I enter after I die. Eternal life is a person who enters me before I die so that I might live eternally after I die. Eternal life is not a place, it's a person. It's Jesus. And you as the Son has the life. And Jesus said, whoever believes in him. In German, the word believe is glauben. And it comes from an older German word that's the word gelöbnis, and that means to speak an oath. If I came up to you and said, I'm getting married, and you said, to who? And I said, uh, I don't know, I'm, just, I'm getting married. You would have said to me, Peter, you haven't understood anything. You have to be married to someone. You have to believe in someone. And it's a commitment to a relationship. And Romans 5 and verse 6, Scripture says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what the fact of the matter is? Jesus has said yes to us. If, if I, you know, if Gabby and I were in the, in the church in Mansell where we got married and, and the pastor said to me, do you take Gabby to be your wife? And I said, yes. And then she runs out of the church and says, finally, I got him. I would be terribly offended if she did not say yes to me. So why, why should we think that God would be, not be offended if we consider ourselves a child of God if we have never said yes to the one who already said yes to us? When I said yes to Gabi, I said no to every other woman in this world. At the same time. I said this woman takes a place in my life that no other woman ever will. And when we say yes to Jesus. We say no. To every other lover in this world. Who would seek to compete with the eternal love and presence and life of Christ. In fact, another German word for, for faith is, ich verlasse mich auf Jesus. It means, 
Literally, I have left myself to Jesus. I've left my way of living. I've left my wisdom. I've left my capabilities. I've left my plans. Lord Jesus, I am living with no plan B. That's what it means to become a Christian. And so I brought some pictures tonight. And I just want to show you and tell you how God did this in my life. Mom told me many years after I was a small child that within the period of four years, four years, her parents got a divorce, her sister got a divorce, her brother got a divorce, and then she and my father got a divorce within four years. And this was a family that enjoyed many of the privileges that people work hard to enjoy in this country. And I suppose they went to church when it was necessary, but not, not much more than that. And so that left my mom, a single mom in the suburbs of Minneapolis with four kids. My brother Scott, who's three years older, and then me, and then my twin sisters, who are a year younger. This was back in the mid-60s. She said that every time she walked out of our home and went shopping at the supermarket, went down to a public gathering of any kind, she said, I felt like I had a big D on my forehead. That's the woman who was divorced. And during this time, she became quite ill, and it meant that she was either going to have to go to the hospital or somebody was going to have to care for her at home. And so there was a, a, a lady in our neighborhood who lived right across the street who was a nurse. And she offered to come over to our home and care for my mother medically. And she cleaned our home. She cooked our meals. And she gave my mother a Bible tract, just a small pamphlet. And I'll be very honest with you. Sometimes I can have, have a pretty cynical attitude. What's a tract? My mother said that she was so hungry for God, she laid that little pamphlet on her bed in private and wrote it, read it over and over and over again. You see, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, in every person's heart, there's a sense for eternity. And there is a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy. And my, my mom began to sense that. And that was the start of this, this yearning for eternal life. She met my stepfather and married him, thinking that the second marriage would be the answer to her problems. And she realized, she said one day she was sitting at the dinner table and she was looking at this new family. She couldn't have been, been happier in one sense than anybody. But she said there was still something missing. It was both of their second marriages. And then in 1972, Billy Graham came to St. Paul and he preached at the fairgrounds and my mother was invited to that. And that's where God revealed himself to her and Jesus saved her. It all started with that woman. 
This is what Rich has been talking about. She walked across the street, cleaned, cooked, and gave my mom a Bible tract. Four, four houses down in the same street, there was a man named Tom Warner. Tom played on the U.S. men's hockey team. He was a man's man. His brother had gone to a conference center in California called Forest Home, and he had been born again there. And he said, you, uh, fly to Denver. I've got something to say to you. He flew to Denver to meet his brother, and his brother told Tom Warner, he said, I've become a Christian. I want you to come to this Christian family camp. Tom was not impressed. He let loose a, a whole string of superlatives that I cannot repeat in this setting and flew back home very angry. But his wife was hungry. And she worked him over and they eventually went to Forest Home and he was born again. And they started to go to Forest Home over and over again. And then one day he said, why are we driving all the way out here? We need to do this in the Midwest. So we got together with some businessmen, rented a college campus on Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, asked a bunch of Forest Home staff to come out there and run this family conference, just like this one. And he invited my family in 1974. My stepfather didn't want to go. And I want to say to some spouse here, if you've been dragged here, my family understands that. If, if your spouse worked you over to come here, I, you know, we understand that. This is Tom and Barb Warner in the next picture. If I could have that one. And Lord willing, I'll see them next week. He's over 90 now. See him at the same camp at which Jesus found me. And I went to Northern Pines. I was 13 years old. I was told we're going to, we're going to camp. I, I understood camp. And probably the attractive thing about it to me was I was told I was going to be put with the mid, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, middle school age kids for the week apart from your parents. Well, that was attractive to me. So, you know, I went to camp and literally, you know, uh, the, the director of this camp, he stood up every morning and every evening and he gave a short devotional out of the Bible. And honestly, I had no clue what he was talking about. But I knew it was real. Something deep, deep in my heart said that's the truth. I couldn't articulate it. Furthermore, we had a lot of fun that week. But these people had more than fun. And honestly, the way that I would describe how I felt back then, I began to feel like I wasn't fully alive. And indeed, I wasn't. And if I could have the next picture, this is our group. This is pasted in my big teaching Bible that's too big to bring with me when I travel. I know it looks like something out of Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> but this was the junior high camp, 1974 at Northern Pines. First camp ever. The director is, is in the front row on the right side of that picture in bare feet. He's now with the Lord. He passed away of cancer. 
The one left of him with his knee up, his name is Bill Gibson, not Mel Gibson, Bill Gibson. He was 19 years old. He'd never been a counselor at this camp. He brought his speedboat to camp so that we could learn how to water ski. And one night there was a storm and his boat sunk. And we went down the dock and there was this buoy and this rope going straight down into the water. And we laughed. <laughs> and Thursday night, Lenny Carlson stood up like I'm speaking this evening. And he told us about his life. And he said, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And at that moment, the living God made it very, very clear to me. That's what you're missing. You see, what I had sensed that week is what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 when he talked about the aroma of Christ among his people. I smelt Jesus. And it was so attractive, so life-giving, so infectious that I said, I've got to have Jesus too. And he said, if you want to receive Christ, stay tonight after the campfire. And I sat on the st on, you know, around one of these campfires, much like the ones out here. And lo and behold, the counselor who sat next to me was Bill Gibson. And he sits next to this 13-year-old brat who'd made fun of him behind his back. And he said, Peter, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Would you like to receive him? I said, yes, I would. And he led me in a very, very simple prayer. And that night, Jesus found me. For years, I used to say I found Christ at Northern Pines, but that's a bald lie. I was never even searching for him. And he came and found me. And I do not know why he would do that, but for his love. You see, the reason for his love does not lie in me, it lies in him. And I'll never forget going back and, and, and going back to my cabin with Bill, Bill Loomis, who's in the back row, standing to my left in the bright, you know, striped T-shirt. And I walked back to my cabin, and I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I was a child of God. Couldn't be, have been into me. And I remember walk, riding in a car back home. And I said, Mom, Pops, I became a Christian this week. And then I said to them, would you get me a Bible like the counselors had? One of the signs of life is hunger. And I had hunger for God's word. Nobody ever told me to have a quiet time. I just wanted more. I think Bill, Bill Gibson would have been at camp maybe one more year, but I don't remember meeting him at that time. But he never went back after that. And many years later, I asked somebody if they knew where Bill Gibson was. They gave me an address. I wrote him a letter. But I never got an answer. 
By the way, my brother received Christ shortly before this camp, and my sister Heidi was sitting around the campfire. She received Christ. Her twin sister, my sister, asked mom what happened to Heidi. Mom was glad to tell her, and Lori became a Christian, and my stepfather. God did a wonderful thing in a broken family. I understand broken homes. I have a lot of compassion. Keep where you are and move forward because your future is infinitely more important than your past. Never got a letter from Bill Gibson. 2009, Gabby and I were in the United States on a ministry trip. We were staying with mom and the phone rang she said, it's for you. I got on the phone, and this voice says, hi, Peter, it's Bill Gibson. I heard you're in town. I said, Bill Gibson, where on earth are you? He said, I'm near the Mall of America. I said, I'll be down there. Just give me the address. I went down there, and if I could have the next picture, please. 35 years later, 35 years later, I told him the rest of the story. And I always tell our students and anyone involved in a camp, you know, leading a Sunday school class, never underestimate just a one-time meeting because it could mean eternity for somebody. If I could have the next picture, that's mom with us four. She's back to being a single mom. Pops is now with the Lord. I did his funeral. It was a privilege Three strokes, advanced Parkinson's. The nurse walks into his room and she says, are you ready to see the Lord? My, my stepfather was this wonderful, gentle, godly man. They were married for 40 years and the best thing that my parents gave me in their upraising of me, I watched a man love his wife. I loved him. And he sticks up his fist, this old college football player, and he says, ready. Incredible. I don't even know if I have another picture on there. Uh, if there is, let's show it. It all started with this woman, Nancy Perry. Came over, cleaned, cooked, gave a Bible tract. I want to tell you this evening, if you come to Gull Lake this week, maybe this is your week. Maybe this is your time to say yes. <laughs> maybe this is God's setup for you like it was for me to come and save you and to come into your being and make you his child and inhabit your spirit by his own and to make you fully alive. I have no idea what the consequences of that will be, but I make no apology when I say I wouldn't trade what has happened between age 13 and now I'll be 59 this year. I wouldn't trade it for the world. All you have to do is say yes to Lord Jesus who's already said yes to you. I want to leave myself, 
leave my plans, leave my wisdom, leave my abilities. Lord, I come to trust you. So if you want to do that, in the quietness of your heart, you may do so tonight. You may do so anytime this week. It's your decision. Let's pause for 60 seconds and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you came out of obedience to your Father and out of love for us to say yes and do what was necessary on the cross to make a way to redeem us so that that way being available might be now laid open to us. And I would simply pray that where there's somebody here with a hungry heart, and you're making yourself known to them, I'd pray that they would very simply take the step. Turn to you and say, Lord Jesus, be my savior and my Lord. Come and make me your child. I pray that for your name's sake. Amen.